We're talking this morning, we're doing this sermon series on what did Jesus really say. And the idea there is hopefully to maybe get past some preconceived ideas that maybe you have that you are coming with about who Jesus is and what Jesus is really all about. Um, we have a tendency to um, put into the mouths of, into Jesus's mouth things that he never said. And so this morning I want us to take a a look at another one of those ideas, another section in which Jesus had a good deal to say, and this time not so much about the vineyard workers themselves, though he does talk about them, he does have some things to say about them, but he really is talking about the grace of God in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you'll turn there and read with me as we read God's Word. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out. And he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word as we come to it. We pray that our meditations upon it and the words of my lips concerning it would be acceptable in your sight. And Father, again, we pray that you will use your word in our lives to sharpen us, to cut into our hearts, to reveal those places in us that are not consistent, that are not consistent with your kingdom and its principles. And so we thank you this morning for these words, and we pray as... We study them as we look at them together, Father, that 
indeed you would use them, that our hearts and minds and lives would be consistent with your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What did Jesus really say about the kingdom of God? This is a really interesting parable. And um, it's interesting partly because it's quite simple. The crux of the matter really is found right there at the end of the parable in verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. If you're there and you're in your Bibles, you will notice that I didn't read it, but if you just back up into verse 19, verse 30, you'll see these words, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And that really helps us because we know the verse markings and the chapter markings you have in your Bible are somewhat arbitrary. They were added much later. And so sometimes, though, we get in a habit of, in this instance, going to chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, and maybe not backing up and reading what would have just been a, a prior sentence. And the prior sentence helps to set for us, ah, the meaning of the parable, doesn't it? Because now if you take the end, if you take verse 30 out of 19 and you put it together with verse 16, you'll see that the parable is bookended. And it it is bookended by the same idea that in the kingdom, things are really upside down. The kingdom of God takes what we would think to be the normal way of operation and it flips it upside down. Let's just... Just recently, um, there, there was a new iPhone coming out. And so you had all of these people that lined up outside of Apple stores. Now, what if you were one of those people and you went down to the, into the store and you were hoping to get, you know, you were there, you camped out, you're sleeping. And uh, yeah, okay. I don't imagine any of you doing that, but let's just say for argument's sake, you did. A new set of golf clubs were being released or something. I don't know. But you got in line early. And you were there and you were first. And and you camped out and you were waiting. And then they came out and they flung the doors open. And and you started to go in and they said, no, 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 no. No, the guy at the very end is going to come in first and you'll come in last. What? What? What would you think? Would you be happy about it? No, you would be tremendously upset. You would be really bothered by this. I mean, let somebody cut in line. Let someone cut in line in front of you and watch the blood pressure begin to go up. We are all about lines in this country. We are about order. We are about what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And in, and in our culture... The wrong way is the last or first and the first or last. No. Why, I was here first. Now, when you come to the parable, it's bookended by that very idea. The very idea that Jesus is telling us is that those who are at the bottom will be at the top, and those who are at the top will be at the bottom. And what he's saying to us is, quite simply, the kingdom is not what you think it is. The kingdom is upside down. It's topsy-turvy. It's different from everything that you could possibly imagine. 
And so here in this passage, this is the topsy-turvy nature of the kingdom that we learn. Are you ready? We learn that Christianity is different from all other religions because it rests not on your effort, but on God's grace. That is the crux of the parable. Jesus is teaching us that Christianity is different from all other religions in that it rests not on your effort, not on what you do, but on God's grace and what Christ has done. Wow. Listen, that is radical. It's radical even to our own hearts, even to those of you who have confessed Christ and know and trust that you are in the Lord, resting in Him, the tendency of our hearts is still somehow to get wrapped up in this notion that He is pleased with us on the basis of what we do or don't do. How can He be any more accepting of you than He already is because He accepts you on the merit of Christ? Take your bulletin. Take your bulletin and you'll see there in our confession of faith, and I hope you caught it because it's a word we don't usually use. There's a, there's a word there that we don't usually use, right? At the very end of, of the confession of what is true faith, we said this. These are gifts of sheer grace. Are you ready? Granted solely by Christ's what? Merit. That's another word for work. Christ went... In his life, and he merited, he worked for you in order that he would secure what you need and what I need in order to be right with God. And what is it that we need? Why? God demands of us a perfect righteousness. And so what the confession is saying, what the word says, is that Christ merited that righteousness that is now credited to your account. That is grace. Unmerited favor that is bestowed upon you in the form of the merit and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you didn't... When we read the parable, I didn't hear that. You didn't hear that. But remember what Jesus is doing. He's taking common everyday experience that has some truth, some relevancy to his audience... And he's, and he's telling a story in order to communicate a principle. And the, and the principle ultimately that he's communicating here is what, what we are talking about with the kingdom of God is different than what you commonly understand to be religion. What's the result? There's at least three of them. Here's the first one. The first result is in an upside-down kingdom like this, in this kingdom... Where the first will be last and the last will be first. Right? In that kingdom, the grace of God is exalted. That's the main point here is that he is going to turn everything upside down. So here's here's the idea. You can arrive in this kingdom on your deathbed and you will receive all of the rights and privileges that Christ affords to us 
exactly the same way that someone who from their infancy has trusted. That's phenomenal. What amazing good news, right? Because I don't know where you're at in your life. Perhaps you're here and you've never heard Christ. And this morning you respond. And then something terrible happens. As you pull out down here where we really need a stoplight. You're afforded all of the rights and privileges of a, of a son or daughter of the Most High. It's amazing good news. It's amazing grace. It really is. It's amazing. The, the Apostle Paul addressed a young Timothy, and as he dressed, addressed Timothy, he encouraged him. And what he said was, hold fast to and continue in what you have learned from your mother and your grandmother from infancy. So here's Timothy, a young man that Paul is encouraging, his faith budding from his infancy. He learned his faith at his grandmother and mother's knees, and he grew up in that, and Paul encourages him. He is a child of the king. Jesus on the cross looked to a thief and told him, Today you will be with me in paradise, given your confession of who I am. Amazing. That is, that is completely warped in our way of thinking. How is it that someone could step onto the stage right at the very end? A Ted Bundy for crying out loud. Do you remember his interview that he did? I believe James Dobson interviewed him in which he made a confession. Really? A Ted Bundy in jail, in prison, a murderer, a thief? on his execution deathbed, can make a a profession of faith and enter into the glorious splendor of heaven? Well, that's what the parable is telling us. The parable parable lays this out, and the way that it happens is there's there's a landowner who has a vineyard, and he goes out multiple times during the day. Now, at the beginning... Very early in the morning, he goes, he hires workers, he agrees them to pay them a denarius for the day. Now, a denarius was a wage that a common Roman soldier would have received for his work. It was a good wage. It's a living wage. This isn't, um, he, he's not merely getting the, um, you know, uh, what's the wage we get? <laughs> yeah, that wage. He's not getting the 725 an hour. He's getting 15 an hour. He's getting, he's giving a living wage. A denarius was that. And so he agrees to pay this man a denarius. That was a good wage for a laborer like this to go into the vineyard. But then we read he goes out at nine in the morning. So three hours later, he goes back. And he hires others who were standing in the marketplace working. And he told them, go work in my vineyard. And he just tells them, I will pay you whatever is right. And they respond, okay, they take the man at his word, they go out and they work. And then he goes again at noon, and then he goes again at three, and he does the same thing. And then notice verse six. He goes back at five in the afternoon. They have one hour left. And there are men who are standing around who are waiting. Listen, by now, in most of these arenas, they would have scattered. They would have gone home, humiliated that they had waited all day. They had nothing to take home to their families. 
But there were still some guys there. Hoping against hope. Who knows? Maybe they were too embarrassed to go home. But So they're still hanging out. They come. He comes there to the marketplace to hire them. And he says, why have you been standing here doing nothing all day long? And they respond, because nobody hired us. And he tells them, go work in my vineyard. And then, of course, the punch. And the punch is this, verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard grabbed his foreman and said, pay them their wage. Literally, pay the wage. Pay them their wages. And beginning with the last ones hired, which was a reversal, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first, he began to pay them. And so imagine you're there, you were hired in the morning, you knew you had been promised a denarius, so you're watching. And then he says, okay, we're going to reverse the order this morning. Oh, you're kidding me. All right, so now I've got to wait in this line, which I was at the head of because I was hired first. Frustrated. And then they begin to watch. And the guy that was hired first gets what? He was hired last, gets a denarius. And then the guy that was hired at three in the afternoon gets what? A denarius. Okay? All right, so now you're just, you're waiting, you're thinking. At this point, you could just say, okay, well, that, that maybe makes sense. I don't know. The guys are hired really late or getting a denarius. But you're still thinking in your mind at that point probably, I'm getting a lot more today, baby. It is payday. But then it's noon. We go back, and that guy gets a denarius. And then the 9 a.m. worker gets a denarius. And by the time you get to the guy who was hired at 6 a.m., what do you think his, where was he? Where was his mind? He was out of this world angry. And he confesses that. I mean, he, he begins to grumble against the landowner. Why? Because the landowner was generous. Because the landowner was gracious. Not because he had not given what he said he would. He did. The man received his fair wage. But because he had observed the landowner's graciousness to another. The last... The first will be last and the last will be first. We have a hard time sometimes even witnessing God's grace to others. No difference between them. There's no difference. They did nothing to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. These laborers were all waiting around. The laborer, the the master came. He hired them. It was all of grace. Every bit of it was grace. And yet... They began to develop this this notion of some fairness in their minds as they watched the, the master, the landowner, give out his wages. Listen, God's kingdom is really upside down, and our way of thinking doesn't always jive with it. Here's the second result. In an upside down kingdom where the gospel of grace comes in this manner. It calls and it turns into heralds the most unlikely of people. If you have your Bibles, if you look back up, if you look back up in chapter 19, you'll see that there's the story 
in chapter 19 of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. Just put those three together. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. You would think that's the kind of guy that Jesus is looking for. He's looking for someone with money. He's looking for someone with talent who's handsome and good looking and all that kind of stuff. And he's, who you know, captain of the football team, whatever. And then he's looking for someone who has leadership ability in his, in his group, in his band. And so this rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He asks the right question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He gets the answer. The text says he what? He went away sad because he had much wealth. And then you turn around and there's a question there at the end of of chapter 19. There's some question from the disciples. Peter begins to ask a question. But what we find out is that Jesus tells them, those who have left father and mother, just as Peter and the disciples had done, they will inherit the kingdom of God. They will have thrones. and, and, And he gives us the grand and glorious picture. And then you get... And then you get to this parable, and one of the things that you realize is that the heralds that God chooses for his kingdom are not the heralds you and I would choose. The people that bubble to the surface in God's kingdom are not usually the people you and I would pick to bubble to the surface in God's kingdom. Does that make sense? And so that's why when the rich young ruler showed up and Jesus is having this conversation with him, when he leaves, what does Peter say? Peter says, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? I mean, if that guy can't make it into the kingdom, then who can make it into the kingdom? And Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the upside-down nature. And then he says, what's, what's impossible with man is what? Possible with God. Listen, in the upside-down kingdom, God will take people who are unlikely to us, and he will use them, and he does use them for his glory in the world. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians Uh, Chapter 1, verse 28. God shows the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that what? No one may boast before him. Let me ask you a logical question. Take the parable. The the, The text doesn't give us the response of the worker who was hired at 5 p.m. and received the same wage. It doesn't tell us what his response was. It does tell us what the response of the man who was hired at 6 o'clock in the morning and received the same wage. His response was to grumble. But let me ask you a logical question. If his response was to grumble at what he received, what do you think the man who was hired at 5 p.m.'s response was? It was to rejoice, wasn't it? I mean, that's the lot. The text doesn't tell us that, but it's a it's a it's logical to imagine that his response would have been what? Extreme gratitude. Now, what happens when you receive extreme gratitude? When you when you receive amazing grace, extreme gratitude usually generally results in what you becoming a herald for that. Have you ever gone somewhere and received really great service? 
like really great service, like you've been shopping or you went to a restaurant and you leave, perhaps the name bubbles up somewhere or you just run into somebody and you tell them, I received amazing service at this place. It's great. It's word of mouth. I've asked several of you. I, wanted, I needed a, someone to cut my hair. And so you, some, some of you, told me, go here, do this. I obviously haven't taken you up on it. I'm looking a little shaggy. He said, go to this person. They do an amazing job. They give great service. You become a herald for that. I have no doubt that those workers hired at five and received a full day's wages were quite complimentary of the landowner. Don't you imagine? Of course they were. Think of the woman at the well. Jesus meets her. He has a conversation. He enters into her life. He shares amazing things. The text tells us she what? She went into town and said, Come, see the man who told me everything I ever did in life. She became a herald. She had multiple partners. She was sexually dysfunctional. Jesus made her a herald of his gospel. Let me ask you a question this morning. What are you heralding? What are you a spokesperson for? Is it the grace of God? Is it the mercy that you've been shown? Is it the grace? Are you a herald for that? Are you proclaiming that? Is that does that message bubble up in your heart at all? Or are you proclaiming something else? Let me ask it another way. What are you making much of in your life? Or who are you making much of in your life? You or him? Several years ago, Victor Hugo's Les Mis came out in all of its high definition glory. Some of you have probably seen the play. Um, You've read the book, maybe. There's a scene in the movie, Jean Valjean goes, and he is shown kindness by the bishop. Remember? He, he goes and he stays in the bishop's house and he's fed and he's taken care of. But then in the middle of the night, as he looks around and he, he takes stock in all of the bishop's fine stuff, he takes a bunch of it, he stuffs it in a sack, all of his silver, and he leaves, only to be nabbed by the police. And so he's taken back to the bishop. And when he gets back to the bishop, do you remember what happens? The bishop looks at him and he says, why didn't you say goodbye? And here, you forgot the, you forgot the silver candlesticks too. <laughs> and he stuffs them down in a sack. And if you recall what happens next, what happens next is Jean Valjean falls to his knees The police leave, and he begins weeping uncontrollably, and of course he sings a song, because that's what you do. And and it's an amazing song. I'm not going to read it for you, but go go out and read the text of what he sang. What was the point? The point was his heart was radically altered once he was shown this amazing grace in the life of the bishop. Unmerited favor. He did not deserve it. Listen, he had spent 19 years in prison for a loaf of bread that he had taken. What would he get for stealing the bishop's silver? Life. But the bishop didn't press charges. Instead, he showed him grace. 
he showed him unmerited favor. Now, there's just a little point here. Who did it cost? Well, it cost a bishop. God shows us unmerited favor. It cost him dearly in the person of his son. Final point, and we're going to finish here. The third result of God's grace is an upside-down kingdom that often runs counter to our kingdom ideas, and it causes us to grumble. The moment we forget that it's all of grace, that it is all unmerited favor, the moment we forget that, then it becomes something we've earned. And that is our hard wiring, friends. We will slip into that if we're not careful. What is grace? Do you understand the nature of that unmerited favor? Listen to the Apostle Paul again. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You lived in them. You followed the ways of the world, the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's in work, and all of those who are disobedient. Verse 3, we all lived among them at one time. We gratified the cravings of our flesh. Right? He's lumping us all there together. By nature, like all of them, we deserve nothing but wrath. But because of God's great love for us, who is rich in mercy, what? God made us alive in Christ. For it is by Grace that you have been saved. Philip Yancey, Christian writer, wrote a book. Um, It's it's actually pretty good. I can recommend it. What's so amazing about grace? And he tells a story that he was in Los Angeles. He's on his way back to return a rental car at the airport. And uh, and he's late. He realizes he's no, he knows he's late. He gets there. He's frustrated. He's mad. He's angry. He goes in. He takes the keys. He slams them down on the counter. And he says, "What do I owe? What's what's the what's the penalty?" And she says, "Oh no, there's no penalty. There's a one hour grace period." And he looked at her and he said, "What is grace?" And she said, "I don't know. I think it's." I think it's when you're supposed to pay, but you don't have to pay. That's a good start on the definition of grace. Let me ask you a question. Because there's a common refrain in all of the stories that Jesus tells. The parable of the prodigal son. The second son stood at home. He was angry at the father for his expression of grace towards others and towards the younger son. Here in this parable, an expression of frustration by those who had hired, thinking that the the landowner did something that just shouldn't be done. There's a story in in Luke chapter 19, a story of Zacchaeus. Remember the wee little Zacchaeus who went out and climbed the sycamore tree to see who he could see? And, And in that story, Jesus, when he calls him down, he says, I want to go to your house and I want to eat with you. And he goes to his house and he's sitting there with Zacchaeus, a man whose heart has just been ripped open and torn open. And he begins to confess his sin and he's going to repay all of the money he's ever owed. But there are men in verse 16 who are outside and they're watching Jesus eat with Zacchaeus. And you know what they're doing? They're getting angry. Does seeing the grace of God expressed to others anger you? Or does it cause your heart to melt? Are you angry? Are you a little bit suspicious when you hear about the deathbed conversion of somebody who all the years of their life cursed God and then yet before they died, he changed their heart 
and they confess Jesus as their Savior. Are you a bit skeptical of that? I am sometimes. The parable of the vineyard worker reminds us that our salvation, every last bit of it, is by God's grace and His grace alone. Have you seen it? Have you tasted it? Have you savored it today? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for such an amazing story that Jesus told. Father, would we, would we respond correctly as we watch your grace go out into the world? Would we long to be a part of it? Would it move our hearts, Father, to praise you, to be a herald in life for you and for your grace, that we would let that light shine to the world around us? Father, we know that it is indeed amazing for you saved us, even us, by grace alone. Prayed in Jesus' name.